opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Summer. And this is episode 41, The Disappearance of Asia Degree. So we just got off of an alien episode. Yes. And now we are talking about a missing person case? Missing person, yes. So this one's more serious. I feel, I feel like our alien episodes are lighter and fun. Of course. I mean, we've only done two of them. But I'm just, I'm chewing on this last one trying to figure it out. Gives you some things to think about, for it sure. Does. For sure. Yeah. So I hope you, you think about it and you come to the believer side of things. We'll see about that. <laughs> so if you haven't heard episode 40 yet, definitely check that out. But this one is going to be a missing person. Is this unsolved? Or? It is. So over 20 years unsolved. Man. And it's of a nine-year-old? Is she? Yes. She was nine years old when she went missing. All right. You ready? I'm ready for this. Where are you taking us? A very small town in North Carolina. On Valentine's Day in 1988, Harold and Aquila Degree got married. A year later, they had a son that they named O'Brien. And then on August 5th, 1990, their daughter, Aisha, was born. The Degree family lived north of Shelby in a residential subdivision on the western edge of the Charlotte metropolitan area that was mostly rural at that time. Both parents had jobs nearby. When the children reached school age, they would let themselves into the home on their own and finish up their homework before their parents got back from work. The Degrees were familiar with news stories about pedophiles who had lured children away via the internet and, for this reason, did not have a computer in the home to make sure their children were protected from outside influences. Their life centered around family, school, and church. Aisha loved playing basketball at school and was a star point guard. Aisha's family and classmates described her as a happy and lighthearted girl who loved sports and made friends easily. In February of 2000, Aisha was in fourth grade at the nearby elementary school, and it was about to be a three-day weekend. On February 11th, Aisha and her brother spent the day at their aunt's house, which was in the same neighborhood. They would stay there when they went to their basketball practices for school. The following day, Aisha had a game and had fouled out. It was the first loss the team had had in the season, and her parents recalled that she was very upset about it and cried with her teammates afterwards, but that she appeared to have gotten over it and even watched her brother's game afterwards. On the morning of the 13th, Aisha and her brother attended church and then went home. Aisha and her brother shared a room, and both children went to bed around 8 p.m. that evening. About an hour later, the power went out in the neighborhood due to a car accident. It came back on at 12.30 a.m., now February 14th, and Harold went to check on the children. He saw both Aisha, 9 years old at the time, and O'Brien, 10 years old, in their beds asleep. He checked on them again before he went to bed, which was around 2.30 a.m., and still saw both children in their beds asleep. Shortly after their father's last check-in on them, O'Brien remembers hearing Aisha's bed squeak, but figured it was just her turning over in her sleep. It is believed that during this time, she had gotten out of bed and grabbed her book bag and left the house. There was heavy rain and wind during the early morning hours of February 14, 2000, when Aisha left home and started walking along North Carolina Highway 18. A motorist and truck driver saw her walking along the highway between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m. that morning. 
the motorist thought it was strange that such a small child was out walking along the highway so late at night and circled three times and then saw Aisha run into the woods. Was she by herself? Yes. When the truck driver saw her, he turned around and got out. But when he approached the girl, she ran off into the wooded area next to the highway. This spot was 1.3 miles from her home near the Highway 180 Junction. Both reported their sightings of her to the police after seeing a TV report later that day about Aisha's disappearance. Both also reported seeing her wearing a long-sleeved white t-shirt and white pants and heading in the same direction, so police were confident that this was indeed Aisha, since those were the clothes she was believed to have been wearing when she left home, and both of them reported her going in the same direction around the same place. Okay. In the morning, which was the degree's wedding anniversary, Aisha's mother went to wake up the kids for a bath around 5.45 a.m. She noticed O'Brien still in his bed, but Aisha was not in hers. She looked throughout the home but could not find her. Aisha's father suggested that she might have gone over to her grandmother's, which was just across the street. But when Aisha's mother called over there, her sister-in-law said Aisha was not there. Then she called 911. Chief Derwin Briscoe was the first officer on the scene. He was actually a lifelong friend of Aisha's parents and said that his stomach dropped when he pulled up to their home. Around 6.40 a.m., a massive search for Aisha began. Unfortunately, police dogs could not pick up Aisha's scent. Aisha's mother went through the neighborhood calling her name, which she said woke everyone up by 7 a.m. Family, friends, and neighbors canceled their plans for the day to assist in the search for Aisha. The only thing found that day had been a mitten, which her mother said did not belong to Aisha. The next day, on February 15th, the search led to the discovery of some candy wrappers, a pencil, marker, and Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow in a shed at a nearby business along the highway near the area where Aisha had been seen the previous morning running into the woods. These items were identified as hers. There was also a photo found of a black girl around Aisha's age who police have not been able to identify. The next day, Aisha's mother realized one of Aisha's favorite outfits was missing from her room. A week later, the search was called off. 9,000 man-hours was spent searching a two- to three-mile radius of where Aisha was last seen. Flyers had been posted all over the area, and 300 leads had been received, but nothing was discovered that led police to Aisha. The media was urged to keep the story alive. So the direction that they that these witnesses saw her going, that was nowhere near the grandmother's house. No, grandmother was right across the street. So it sounds like she left voluntarily, like she packed up her own bag, brought her own clothes, and then... That's what they thought. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a nine-year-old. Right. But they say that she was alone when they spotted her. Yes. The motorist, uh, the truck driver, they both saw her with nobody next to her. Okay. I mean, and at this point, it does sound like the police are doing what they can, like 9,000 hours... To search for somebody. It sounds like initially they were. Okay. Then on February 22nd, the county sheriff, Dan Crawford, brought in the FBI and the SBI, which is the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. Asia was placed on each bureau's database of missing children. Based on the items her mother discovered she had taken, the investigators first believed that Asia had planned to leave and prepared over the course of several days. 
So it was first thought that Aisha had been running away from home. But Aisha was a cautious child who was also very scared of dogs, so her mother thought she would never just go outside on her own in the middle of the night. Investigators could not find any reason why she would have done that. She was also younger than most children who do run away, most being at least 12 years of age and older, and Asia was only nine, so they speculated that she could have been abducted. Some investigators believe that she may have been running away from something, like being upset over her performance at the game, but then for some reason she could have gotten lost in the woods or have actually been abducted along the highway. It sounded like she was, like, fine after the game. That's what her mom like she said. She was upset at first, but yeah. after time went on, she was fine with it. Even if that was upsetting to her, like, why would that make her, like, leave to go somewhere? In the middle of the night, right. And that's what the mom thinks that's strange, too. doesn't make sense. Right. But there was no evidence of a break-in, so it doesn't seem like anybody had gotten into their home to take her. And she had been seen walking by herself along the road. Could someone have told her to meet them at a certain area? I'm wondering. I mean, it's so strange. You just don't hear about, like, kids that young just, running like, away. voluntarily yeah. running away. And it right. doesn't sound like she was distressed or anything. It just sounds like she packed her stuff and was, you know, walking along the highway. In the middle of the night. Yeah. And then disappeared into a forest or, like, when, a wooded area. Right. When the motorist saw her and the third time that person circled, then she ran into the forest. And then again, when the truck driver saw her walking... So she must have come back out of the forest to walk along the highway some more. The truck driver, when they tried to approach her, she ran into the forest again. Do you think maybe she had like a secret hideout or something? Well, they did find that stuff in the shed. Yeah, like her stuff was there. Sometimes kids like have you know, a, a, a special little... place that they go to. Could have been, and she just wanted to go there, and like that was like maybe her happy place where yeah. she liked to go. Still like... strange that it was in the middle of the night. True. A month later, media attention about Aisha's case went national and the Degree family had an appearance on the Montel Williams show. America's Most Wanted and the Oprah Winfrey show also did segments on Aisha's case. 18 months later, on August 3rd, 2001, Aisha's book bag, which was wrapped in two plastic trash bags and still packed, was found in a construction site along the same highway about an hour north of Shelby in the city of Morganton. That's almost 30 miles away. The FBI took it for forensic analysis, and those tests have not been shared with the public. While some of the items the investigators found in the book bag did belong to Aisha, such as her basketball uniform, some were not hers. One of these items was a book that was from Aisha's elementary school, but apparently she had not checked it out, and they don't know who checked it out. And that was with her stuff? Yes. Oh, okay, so where are they finding the stuff? In her book bag. So the book bag was found almost 30 miles away from where she had been seen. In the book bag was some of her things that was confirmed, but there was also some items that were not confirmed. And at this time, they are only talking about one of the items, which was a children's book, which was actually from Asia's elementary school, but it was not hers. Which I wonder, though, because I don't know if you remember... Well, from my time, like if you go to the school library, they just had the little cards you would um, slip in. It was under the jacket and you would take out the card and then the library would write your name on it and the date when it had was checked out and when it should be returned. So I'm wondering if it was one of those type of things where it wasn't electronics. What if her friend had given it to her? What if she had found it sitting somewhere? I don't know why they think it for sure wasn't hers. They don't really explain that. 
I see. So it could have been just not from, or something she just found and maybe picked up. Or Maybe she found it. Maybe it was her friends that her friend let her borrow. Or it could have been maybe another little girl's. And then how did that get in there? Yeah. I do know, like, when I was in school, we had um, barcodes. And so that's how they tracked who got what book. I don't know how electronic it was. Yeah. yeah. But I guess either way, I don't know why they're focusing so much on that book. Maybe they just think. Because it was one of the only items that wasn't hers, they said. So, which makes them think somebody else is involved. Okay. But it also could have been hers and she could have just picked it up voluntarily and there's just no way to track that. Maybe, but they seem very certain that it's not hers. And I don't know why. They don't really go into that. Maybe they tested it for fingerprints and didn't find her fingerprints on it. I don't know. In 2013, Aisha's mother stated in an interview with Jet that her daughter's disappearance had not gotten as much media attention over the years as some subsequent cases of missing children because Aisha was black. And I think you and I have talked about this. Yeah, unfortunately, it's true. Those cases just don't get the same exposure as like the white children. Yeah. Yeah. Then in 2015, the FBI joined North Carolina state and county authorities in a reopened investigation, and a $25,000 reward was offered for any information that could help lead them to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Aisha's disappearance. The community offered an additional $20,000. A possible lead came in about Aisha having been seen getting into a dark green 1970s model Lincoln Continental Mark IV or Ford Thunderbird, with rust around the wheel wells. And then in 2017, the FBI released images of both vehicle models to the public. So this is not the exact car she was seen in, but here's two examples of the car that possibly she had gotten into. So later they did see her get into a different car. So a tip came in that said that they saw her get into this car. But this tip didn't come in until 2015. How far away was that? Was that like around the 30 mile mark where they found like her stuff? They didn't say where she'd gotten into, where on the highway she'd gotten into this car. Okay. So, and at that point, when do they think they saw her? Like compared to when she was pronounced missing? They didn't release that information. Oh, okay. But either way, she was seen alive getting into this car. Right. On an episode of Inside the FBI, which is a podcast that covers cases and news related to the Bureau, Detective Tim Adams from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina, who worked Aisha's case, said that there were no cell phones or any computers in the home and no video surveillance around the home or area she was walking. Nowadays, digital tracking is used heavily to locate missing children and adults, and this wasn't available for Aisha's case. Another hurdle investigators faced is that the FBI's CARD program, which stands for Child Abduction Rapid Deployment and is made up of bureau personnel from across the country who are experts at working child abduction cases, was not yet created in 2000. It is a tremendous resource for state and local law enforcement. Since the implementation of the CARD program in 2005, any local law enforcement agency can contact the FBI and get assistance from the CARD team if a child goes missing for any reason. In 2017, the CARD team was asked to come down to assist in Aisha's case. They went through Aisha's case file and came up with a plan prior to their visit to North Carolina, where they spent two weeks working with FBI Charlotte employees, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office investigators, and the North Carolina SBI investigating suspects, leads, and the area. Since they first got involved in 2017, local agents and investigators have conducted around 300 interviews. 
Even though their assistance did not help find Aisha, the car team is available to investigators should a new suspect come into the picture or if there is any specialized assistance they may need. Okay, so it sounds like there's some a lot of agencies that are involved and ready to help. Help out, yeah. The sheriff's office released a video in 2018 reviewing Aisha's case and asked the public for help in identifying the items that were previously found. One was a Dr. Seuss library book that we talked about. The other was a New Kids on the Block shirt, which did not belong to Aisha. And they are sure that these items were not hers. So do you think that at that, I mean, she must have gotten into a car with a predator or Um, who was like targeting kids? Could be. I wonder if the book and the shirt belong to another child. Remember there was that picture of another black girl that they found with the candy wrappers. Yeah. It's hard to say, though. And, of course, there's some information the FBI is not going to release because... They would use that right. as far as, like, an interrogation tactic. Exactly. So there's, I'm sure there's some information they have that we don't know. But what they have released is that the shirt was not hers, the book was not hers. And we don't know exactly where she was when she got picked up no it's just it's like it's it's if they could just give a little bit more information (laughs) but i i get why they have to we have to keep keep some of it yeah yeah then in february of 2020 the fbi released images of the book and shirt so now the fbi is releasing these images still the owner or owners of these items have yet to be identified later that year a prison inmate named marcus mellon sent a letter to the star which stated, Asia Degree has been missing for over 20 years. About four months ago, I found out her whereabouts and what had happened to her. She was killed and then took and buried. I do know how and what town she is in. I hope you get this letter and do come see me. It's on the up and up. Mellon, who was 53 at the time, had been convicted of sex crimes against children in Cleveland County in 2014 and was housed at Alexander Correctional Institute, where they were having a COVID-19 outbreak. The FBI was able to interview Mellon after the outbreak was under control, but in February of 2021, it was announced that his claims had led to another dead end in the case. The investigators want the public to know that family, friends, teachers, and anyone immediately close to Asia have already been cleared as suspects. And they don't release, like, what they found out from this interview? They said it was a dead end. The FBI said that a lot of times inmates will say they know something about a case just to try and work out a deal that would benefit them when they really know nothing about it. I was thinking if that could have been the case because we've seen that. So, and that's sad that he would use her case, give hope to people who are like looking for answers just for his own benefit. Detective Adams stated on Inside the FBI that Aisha's case is not a cold case and that they are still actively seeking answers to find her. He said that they have received around 500 tips since 2015. Some tips come from the FBI, and some are forwarded from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which has done an age progression photo of Asia that we will share on our Instagram page. So I'm glad to hear that still an active investigation hasn't gone cold, and sounds like they're getting tips. They say they get tips all the time, actually, on her case from different parts of the country. Wow, that's great. I mean, hopefully one day one of those leads will actually lead to some answers. 
FBI Supervisory Special Agent Kevin Swanson, who works out of the Charlotte Field Office and oversees the federal investigation of Asia's disappearance, spoke on the same episode of Inside the FBI and stated that the tips they receive on Asia's case come from all over the United States, and he thinks that is part of the power of the partnership between local and state resources, and Detective Adams states that the role the public plays in solving Asia's case is paramount, and he believes that someone has information about her disappearance. That somebody has to know something more. Right, because I'm assuming this person is still out there or was still out there at some point. Right, or even if the person who is responsible for picking her up in that green car, if they would come forward and say something. I wonder if it could be like an instance of trafficking, you could know, because yeah. I'm sure that's a huge industry. Unfortunately, kids are abducted into that industry all the time, more than we would like to think, but it's still ongoing. And there is a billboard along Highway 18 at the spot where she was approached by the passerby and ran into the woods. And there is a yearly walk from her home to that billboard where family and community members are escorted by the sheriff's office along the road. Aisha's mother has said that until police can prove beyond 99.9% that her daughter is dead, she will hold out hope that she is alive and is determined to keep searching. She also stated in a 2020 interview that is posted on the FBI's website, We're hoping and praying that she's had a halfway decent life even though we didn't get to raise her. She was 9 years old and she'll be 30 this year. So we've missed everything. But I don't care. If she walked in that door right now... I wouldn't care what I missed. All I want to do is see her. That's heartbreaking. I know. And she's, she would be 30 this year. Like, I turned 30 this year. This interview was from 2020, so she would be 30, turning 32. Or just turned 32 in February of this year. Wow. It's shocking to think that she's just been gone for so long. And then there's so many questions. Like, why did she leave? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, none of her friends has, like, any kind of idea of, like, maybe why she left. The only thing they can think of is that she was upset about the game. She was real disappointed. She may have left because of that. But if she did leave, it's like, where was she going? And and maybe it was like you said, she had a place that she could go and just be by herself and think. But again, it's strange that she would have left that late at night. Mom says she was scared of dogs. So it doesn't make sense that she would just get up in the middle of the night when there's about to be a rainstorm, it's windy, and walk along the highway alone. When she's scared of dogs and she's nine. Yeah. And she packed a bag. like, And they believe the bag was packed a few days before. So it couldn't have been the game then if it was a few days well, before. It, it could have been because the game was on a Saturday and I think she left it on Monday morning. So the game was a, a couple days before her actually leaving. They believe that she did pack before that morning. So it was pre-planned, but they can't say for sure what day she packed. And then it does appear that an adult didn't pack her bag because they said, like, the stuff they found in there did seem like something a nine-year-old would pack, not like an adult planning something. Like she took her basketball uniform and just, you know, things a kid would pack. Gosh, I just, I hate how there's no, there's just so many questions. There is still a $45,000 reward being offered in Aisha's case. Detective Adams says that it is never too late to call if you think you may have information about Aisha's disappearance. 
You can contact the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office at 704-484-4822 or the FBI at 704-672-6100. Agent Swanson says you can call 1-800-CALL-FBI or go to tips.fbi.gov and provide the information anonymously and reference Asia degree. You can also call the Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. I'm glad that you decided to cover this case because, I mean, I don't think it can get enough exposure. Whatever else we can do to help get that information out there. Because anyone could have information on the case. Like you said, they they get tips every day. Yeah, they get tips on her case still to this day from across the United States. So if it reaches you and you know something, please reach out to those sources. We'll have her picture on Instagram and then also in our story and um, we'll put on Facebook Parents have been cleared, friends have been cleared, teachers, they're sure that it was nobody that was close to her. It's its a hard case. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully the parents will have answers. I hope so. It's got to be really hard for the family to just like not know what happened. Yeah, I watched some of the interviews and her mom said that your life is put on hold, basically. You can't move on. She just wants to know where her daughter is. She wants to see her daughter again or know what happened. Well, hopefully there will be some kind of answer for her. Yeah. Well, do we know what is on for episode 42? I am not sure yet. <laughs> it might be a serial killer. I have a list I have to go through. <laughs> I think I know what mine's going to be. Oh. Episode 43. I think I'm going to do Richard Speck. We were just talking about that the other day. Yeah. That was Nicole's suggestion, too. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah. We've done a few that she <laughs> suggests. She's had some good suggestions. Yeah. And that's a good segue into if you have any more suggestions, then you should email us at freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. Yes. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Freshly Brewed Noir. What is our saying again? Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. <laughs>